Today is October 6th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the U.S.-Canadian imposed border is the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Gunai, and Bigani of the Confederacy. These lands are now on Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, now Wesley Chiniki and Bears Paw Nations, and the Sutina. I acknowledge all Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status or non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I think I know as I walk down my red road. I'm Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, another English name which has afforded me great privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Slavy Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people, in Treaty 11. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to the area of Clincho Tine Indehe, in Dene, meaning Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Amy, Ashley, Beatrice, Diana, Dustin, Joni, Judy, Julie, Kenna, Matt, and Sharon. Thank you all for signing up. I greatly appreciate it. If you value listening and afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Nativecalgarian.com is also up. Uh, Violence is my everyday reality. Uh, Every Indigenous generation has faced it, and that's why I started this podcast, to be able to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but sure want to tell us theirs, and usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, Uh, people dealing with internalized racism, who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo, or people who are so in their trauma that they stop people from doing work and deplete the resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And that's why I started this podcast, in the hopes that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future, trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way we can all understand. I always um, do the land acknowledgement to be more inclusive to Indigenous people and obviously recognize where we're on. Um, cultural safety is something that every single person should be practicing. I hear many um, non-Indigenous say, you know, we want more diversity on our boards, but we invite people, they just don't come. Yet, they don't do land acknowledgements, and they don't allow people to speak, and they certainly don't call out any oppressive language. So you can create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, LGBTQ to speak by, one, doing something. Having good intentions is not enough. It takes action to make change. You have to speak out against racism and marginalization. Ask questions with those who are with more understanding. Find your allies. Create a support system to help advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. 
read, reflect, and ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from Indigenous people. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not learning. Understand colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. I want to say thank you to heretohelp.bc.ca for that. What is Indigenous cultural safety and why should I care? I also talk about internalized racism. And uh, for those who do not know, go Google it. But the bottom line is, is that it's um, still... Um, working with the the supremacist and, and dominant group and maintaining that set of values and behaviors and social structures at the expense of others. And there's many different ways that manifests. And uh, you can learn more about Googleizing internalized racism. A lot of people call that lateral violence. And do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. If you are witnessing public instances of black or anti-black um, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, anti-Indigenous, or any other form of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, use these tips on how to intervene. Do make your presence known. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed and ask them if you can support them. Move closer to that person being harassed. If possible, uh, create a distance and a barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. If it's safe to do so and the person who's being harassed consents to it, film or record the incident. Uh, Take cues from the person being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser? Uh, You can make suggestions. Would you like me to walk over here? Can uh, we move to another train car? Um, And then follow their lead. Notice if the person being harassed is resisting in their own way and honor that, especially non-Indigenous folk. Don't tone police the person being harassed. Follow up with the individual after the harassment incident is over and see if they need anything else, but do everything you can to keep yourself safe. Assess your surroundings. Are there others you can pull in? Working in a team is a good idea if possible. Can you move the person being harassed to a safer space? Don't call the police. For many communities experiencing harassment right now, whether they're Indigenous, Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, trans, immigrant, or women, the police can actually be a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not to incite further violence from the attacker. But don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous and it communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you yourself are too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed to communicate your support with your body. I like to talk about those things because um, even for me, it's almost training for me to learn more and more how to intervene. I see harassment at uh, stores. I've seen harassment of employees. And it's just important for people to speak up because it's not okay anymore. And most places have policies that you can easily be that witness for people. So today I've been incredibly blessed to have a friend of mine agree to come onto my show. Uh, Her name is Naomi, and I will definitely allow uh, Naomi the space to um, introduce herself in the way that she'd like. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) I'm not sure what to say for an introduction except for that I am a writer and now a lawyer and (laughs) my views do not represent my employer's views Um, 
Another thing is that I tweet at quaytoday.com. That's Kate, or tweet at Quay today. And my blog is at quaytoday.com. Awesome. Awesome. I'm really happy uh, to have you on here. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's, uh, it just feels good to connect with you and to to be on your podcast, which is kind of cool. So I'm happy to be here. Right on. Um, some of the people that I just absolutely love in my life are the first to not really introduce who they really are. And I I just want to talk a bit about how I know, know Naomi. Um, I actually met her on, at the time, it was the Aboriginal People's Commission. Now it's the Indigenous People's Commission. And um, you were doing advocacy work for women, Indigenous women specifically, uh, within the Liberal Party. And you wrote the policy for the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry. Yeah, that was um, really, I guess, a changing point for me in seeing how you could make or influence change, um, especially something so near and dear to my heart, being an Indigenous woman myself. Mm-hmm. And also to meet all the cool people that I met in that process, um, especially other people like Chad Cowie. Uh, who persuaded me to join the Liberal Party. <laughs> you too, hey? <laughs> Which, <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly, I'm happy for it. Um, but I also respect every, like, other points of views. Um, I used to be super hyper-partisan, but now I'm trying to be, like, building connections across party lines because I realize that that's super important sometimes for some issues. Um, uh, but I remember and I recall when a policy made it to the floor, which, of course, if it didn't make it to the floor, like how, like, I don't think I would have stayed with the party. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it was voted like unanimously, that was probably the moment in time where I was like, OK, maybe maybe politics is for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I uh, I was really moved by that moment. I actually recorded the uh the moment and it was unanimous and at the time it was uh Ralph Goodale was chairing and I remember him saying pretty sure that's unanimous and uh (laughs) yeah it was just a it was just a great moment because like I knew you knew how this was affecting our communities and how it was just kind of being I don't know overlooked by the media and the Canadian public in general and it was just it was a really great moment um, I also was really kind of brought in by Chad Cowie and uh, I never, I don't know if I really got um, too partisan. I just found that it was a way that I could really be honest and speak negatively of the conservative party <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, growing up in like being in Calgary and, and having like the heartland of conservative town and, you know, I tried to actually, you know, engage with my MP and, you know, he was not interested in that conversation at all. And it just made sense that, you know, the Liberal Party and the Indigenous People Commission were speaking out on these like incredibly important issues. So it just made sense to me at the time to, you know, be with that, that party, if that meant trying to get rid of the Conservative Party. So, you know, I, I was kind of lucky that I, it just worked out with the timing of how much I absolutely despised Harper and his policies. And, you know, Justin <laughs> come in and the Liberal Party seemed to catch its um, its wings a bit. And uh, I don't think without the Indigenous Peoples Commission, though, I would have stayed because um, 
you know, racism is really hard to deal with. And all of the colonial parties, they don't even know that they're being racist, right? So it's, yeah. uh, it's tough. And, and today, because Chad's no longer with it, you know, it, it's a different um, atmosphere. And uh, I went through a leadership change. I had uh, Kevin C. Sequasis, who you knew, I think he, you would, he was comms when you were um, the women's rep, hey? I don't know. I can't remember. Don't remember. That's okay. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I had some leadership change and, and it was good. I just, uh, you know, it, every time there's leadership change, I just, I miss Chad and uh, being able to just speak my mind about Indigenous issues. And um, I I think we'll probably get back there again. It just takes some time for everybody to find their feet and move forward, I guess. So, so yeah, I missed that part, but um, there was some other advocacy that you had done that was just um, blew me away. And I, I seen you actually go to the Senate committee to talk about. Uh, no, no, I went to the Justice Committee. People get that wrong all the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Tell <laughs> me more about that. Committee. <laughs> sure. Tell me more about that. It was the absolute worst experience of my life. Um, just, I mean, it was a great experience. To know that I had the support that I did in the room that day, but the 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 feelings in that room, the the kind of experiences I had immediately afterwards, the um, the harassment that I received afterwards, um, I would never wish on anybody. It um, it really took a toll on me, and uh, the fact that the majority of the sex workers movement uh, really didn't uh, support me in any real way. Mm-hmm. I found it really frustrating. Um, and I sort of left the movement publicly. That doesn't mean that I'm not helping in other ways. Of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, is that uh, I left probably after a meeting for with the Canadian Alliance for Sex Work Lobby Forum. And I said, if you guys don't include exit strategies in your um, documents or if you don't include uh, references to indigenous women and human trafficking you guys are not going to be addressing all the issues mm-hmm. um, and I remember and I said to them because just at the time um, it was I think Cindy Gladue's uh, case was just heard or just finished being heard and I just finished writing about it and I remember there was this white woman lawyer sitting in the room and she's and she's like sitting there she's talking so passionately like decriminalization will end violence against sex workers and I just I said like I interrupted her and I was like no it won't look what happened with Cindy Gladue and nothing that Cindy Gladue had done was criminalized and what she had what she how she was working was with at the time before Bedford was within the realm of the laws that you know that said that that pushed these women to not to have to work in a secure, safe place, that they had to go to these hotels, that the only place way to not get charged was to do out calls and to go to these places and to meet these men. And that's exactly what she had done. Um, and look what happened to Cindy Gladue. And, and the fact that the sex work movement one, attempted to take up Cindy's Gladue's death 
as a call for decriminalization, completely ignores how criminal laws impact Indigenous women, meaning that even when they're working within the bounds of like, even when they're doing everything right in order to not get criminalized, that they still go missing and murdered. Mm -hmm. And decriminalization will not, will not, not, and that if their efforts do not include the fact that not in not every single sex worker wants to do work it calls it work and not every single sex worker uh is in there by choice because their their movement is not addressing that and i said i have to leave and i can't support this movement anymore mm-hmm. um and then when it came to the next convention in in the um 2000 what was it? Was it this year, 2018? Already, holy! <laughs> it's October, the, I guess. Con- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the convention that happened in Halifax, yeah, when that resolution was brought forward to support decrim, uh, well-meaning and all, but probably poorly written. Mm-hmm. Not probably; it was poorly written. Yeah. And uh, you can tell that they didn't consult with. They consulted with the select few sex workers and uh, had they reached out to me earlier instead of two days or I can't even remember when they reached out. It was, it was so close to the convention. I was like, yes, I am going, but I will not be supporting your resolution because I seen the text and it's garbage. Yep. And uh, with that, I came with my own little campaign. <laughs> what was it? Uh, Hooker on the Hill says no. Yeah. Vote no. Damn. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I find that really frustrating the way the colonial politics works because I had done through my riding association, a ton of outreach about sex workers rights that was specific to our area, uh, with our police, Mm -hmm. with, um, the outlinks. So there was, there's an LGBTQ2 plus, um, group that I I had done some outreach with and, um, Yeah, I was really frustrated because that didn't even make it past the, uh, you know, uh, stage to go to the province and or past the province to go to national. And yet, you know, here we are two years later, but other people wrote it. So somehow it was more acceptable, I suppose. Right. So, yeah, yeah you, I get frustrated. Your resolution was actually really, really well written and it actually hit all the points and it was something that definitely should have made it to the floor because it's something that, you know, yeah, it would have been like, how are you against this resolution? Because I remember your resolution mentioned something about human trafficking, like how, like, and that's what's happened with this resolution to support Ukraine was that people are saying they support the pimps and whatever, whatever language that they use uh, to delegitimize these kinds of initiatives mm-hmm. was that like had they just put those points in like how like nobody would be able to say oh you support twins it's like no we also support human like human trafficking victims and we want support for them too yep um, yeah i know i find that um process really frustrating and every year they say oh well just you know do some outreach and talk to the policy people and you know, try to work through the system. But I swear, as soon as you do, the policy system changes. And then they, you know, you've somehow not done enough conversation with the right people in policy. So we'll have to see, um, 
like I don't know what my future looks like with the Liberal Party. So we'll have to see what what that brings. But I find too, now that we're in power, you know, now it's a very different situation. I think before it was a lot easier when we were, you know, third party status <laughs> to bring forward grassroots policies. But we'll have to see if that's still the case. And yeah, and you know, the other part is too, if I'm starting to get cynical, it might be time to step back anyway and let, you know, new bright eyed, bushy tailed people go through. We'll see. I'll see um how I feel about that and because it is defeating putting forward policies and like a one that um had passed that went went forward was the one on spying on indigenous people in our organizations and then that whole fiasco with C51 happened and then at the convention I was the only one that you know brought up C51 and I didn't have support and it was interesting my muslim brothers and sisters they said uh oh well, they actually did the uh, vote at the same time we have to pray. And I thought, oh, what coincidental timing there, hey? So <laughs> I don't know. That process is, uh, it's difficult and good good policies sometimes get lost. So I don't know. I really appreciate you sharing your experience with that. I appreciate the uh, sharing the experience of what it was like to be at that justice uh, committee as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a good opportunity. Like I tell other young advocates I'm like if there's something that you want your voice to be heard on like start writing start building your what they call clout or your expertise around that issue Mm. and like who cares if nobody's listening (laughs) somebody will listen eventually and just just roll with it and because I don't think I would have made it there without the writing that I had done beforehand. So yeah, that's fair. I think um, your blog is one of the ones a lot of uh, people follow. I remember meeting up with some scholars at the UFC and them talking about your blog as one of the few Indigenous women blogs that they follow. So um, you know, I know this concept of podcasting was wasn't something that I was sold on right away. My husband had to really kind of you know talk at me with it and such, but. Now that I see how like liberating and freeing it is, I we should all be doing podcasts. I tell you, talking about the issues that we care about, <laughs> mind you. My brother, my uh, my non-indigenous brother, he's like, "What's your podcast about?" And I'm like, "I don't know, nothing. I guess just me talking about politics." So he's like, "Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> most podcasts." So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Different, different kind of politics. Right. Well, and, and something not everybody's exposed to. And then, you know, because I live in Calgary, like we have the Olympics coming up and, you know, part of the calls to action actually talked about um, sports and such. And yet, you know, everybody's like, well, how are we going to have reconciliation with the uh, Olympics? And I'm like, well, obviously you haven't read the calls to action then if you don't know. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's been weird uh, trying to talk about politics at that local level as well as that national level. But, you know, ultimately, when it comes right back down to what really matters is that I don't, I still don't understand how there's such a a huge gap between us and non-Indigenous in the justice system. And, you know, for them to deny that there's not bias and, you know, to deny that there's not racism, like I'm just so done. And I think the next generation is so done with that. So you know, just trying to, okay, if you guys are in denial of racism, that's fine. For those who are not, here's what we do. And just start 
that conversation because especially the youth they they know it's racism and they they call it out all the time like whether it's racism or sexism or whatever um and not that long ago there was a lady and she wanted to have a protest at uh, one of the big grocers here because they were following an indigenous person and because she was Métis she obviously felt very hurt by that so she spoke up and then they conveniently let her go so we had to have a protest in front of there and uh you know I was really proud of her bottom Mm. line is um at least she's saying what uh needs to be said but I met with the executive later and talked about you know new policies about sexism and racism and it was pretty funny watching them squirm these like you know 50 something older white people completely oblivious to talk about things like racism and discrimination right so and I said you know these kids they have the language they've lived through the TRC right now we're going through the inquiry for missing and murdered indigenous women like you can't deny this anymore and uh I yeah. think it, it's making those in power that are older really uncomfortable to know that everybody sees the racism except you. Yeah. So um, one of the rallies that we had last week was for the Cindy Gladue um, awareness campaign that was c- going national. Um, I know you've been so involved in this case. Would you like to talk a little bit more about that, Naomi? Yeah. So it's kind of <laughs> surreal that this case that I wrote about one little blog post, like not nothing, nothing that was, um, that was like many, many words. It was very few words. It sort of went, I hate this word viral. And it caused like these national protests across Canada that then led to an appeal. Then that appeal led to a decision, which is now being appealed and heard at the Supreme Court of Canada, which is when I tell people this, like they look at me like as if I'm making it up or that I'm saying something that's not entirely true, but that's it. Like that's the truth. I wrote something. Um, I had a friend who called me up and I remember that day very, very clearly because I was on a way to an interview at the place that I'm working at now. Um, and I remembered, I was just like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going into this interview. Like, but I used that, that, that whatever happened to me that day <laughs> to, to channel in that interview. And it was just, um, obviously it worked out well because I'm still at the company, but, <laughs> um, now it's like to see that it's being heard at the Supreme Court of Canada. It's like, it, the one thing that makes me really, really sad about it is that indigenous women in the sex trade are being erased by this discussion Mm. and i know that there's always a diverse range of experiences again meaning some people there are there by choice some people are not and some people you know don't call it work but those those are entirely being erased and we've seen that at the appeal when um the argument was that uh, there's discrimination against Cindy Gladue or just there's uh, there was bias because they kept referring to her as a native prostitute. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a fact. Like that's a fact that we can't erase from this case. And this literal erasure of these experiences from this case is exactly what contributes to missing and murdered indigenous women that 
regardless of what we feel or how we feel about uh, prostitution or sex work or whatever you want to call it, um, people are going to do it and they need to have the support that they need um, in order to do it safely. Mm. And that's not a call to say, I support people going into the sex trade. It just means that people need to have support to make the decisions that they are making with the resources that they are making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's frustrating because I don't want as as much as I respect everybody's, you know, the other side's idea that you know, repeatedly saying that she was a native prostitute um, contributed to. Uh, this discrimination but at the same time those are the facts like what like what can we what else what else are we supposed to be saying like are like I I, I, we can like call her a victim we can not say she was native we can not say she was a prostitute but those are the facts and to erase those facts is erasure of the violence that uh Indigenous women and sex trade experience every single day. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, how yeah. would you like? How would you approach it? Do you think now that you you know you know the law system, you know the way the justice system works, the appeal system? What are some key things that you think were missing that uh, maybe could have been focused on? Well, for one, they didn't need to bring her preserved pelvic region into the courtroom. There is no reason for that to happen. And there were better uh, better lines of argument that could have easily led to the his conviction if that's the end goal. And um, one being, which I already wrote about, which was an issue on appeal, was his behavior after after the offense that had had happened. So there's uh, in the jury instructions for Cindy Gladu. The judge gave specific instructions saying to the jury that they couldn't consider the after the behavior and actions after the offense, which is kind of uh, crazy making because of all the things that he's done after um, allegedly waking up and discovering her in the bathtub. And not calling 911 immediately, but being told by his coworker who picked him up to call 911. Like, he didn't call 911 until his coworker said, you probably should call nine, like somebody. Yeah. And so they drove him back to the hotel and he called somebody. And, and he also took steps to clean up the room. Um, I think at one point, there was he he threw something in the garbage and they couldn't find that garbage i think that i may be confusing on confusing another case on that last point about the garbage but um like he took steps to that a person who if he was innocent and you know is Telling the truth would have called nine one one because that's what people who are innocent do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean that's more that's a, such a simplistic way to say like innocent people call nine one one because 
a lot of people who are innocent all the time don't feel safe to call 911, but this man was a white man who was working in Alberta, which happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He had nothing to worry about. I'm sure he would have been fine if he would have called 911, and he (laughs) is fine to this day. No, the opposite. I just, I can't even believe he's, he's free. Like, I can't believe that, you know, there's no dispute of what he did. And the fact that he can be walking around free, like, it's just, it's impossible for me to wrap my head around how people are okay with this. And, you know, what's shocking to me, and I I wanted to ask you this uh, really specifically, was that, you know, we had 5,000 people here in Calgary march for Hillary Clinton when she lost the election. And um, we never get that type of, uh, you know, turnout for any of the Cindy Laju rallies I've done too now, or for the Sisters in Spirit Vigil for that matter, and uh, or the Valentine's Day marches that we do. But when it came to like U.S. politics, you suddenly had all of this outrage. I couldn't, I still can't even comprehend it. But ultimately from this case, Am I wrong to believe that this will now be a total um, allowable thing to be done to any Alberta, Albertan woman now? Um, and my question to you was, is, can it also go across Canada where it's totally acceptable now to take somebody's vagina into a court case? So there are certain rules that each uh, lawyer, crown, criminal defense, um, has to follow any lawyer, whether it's criminal or civil, when they want to uh, bring evidence into the court. Mm -hmm. Um, For criminal, uh, especially around the evidence around the preserved pelvic region, there's a subset of rules, um, basically law. and it's called the expert evidence rules. And the, the, the judge who made the decision to admit the evidence had went through those rules, but from my perspective, um, he needed something more. And that's, that's the language that the case law uses to describe when it's okay to use um, experiment evidence and that's essentially what happened here was that um, they, the crown, it was two expert, two experts, and the crown expert wanted the preserved pelvic region in so that he, I think it was, yeah, so that he, the crown wanted the the pelvic region, the preserved pelvic region in, so that he the experts could do their demonstrations with it, meaning they could demonstrate um, sort of what they called an experiment, which I don't understand how bringing a body part into court is an experiment. Mm -hmm. It's not a recreation of anything. It's not testing any sort of hypothesis. It's just showing something and it doesn't really reach a conclusion. Yeah. Um, did so when I read his reasons and then, you know, compared it to the case law around that ex- that subset of expert evidence, I believe that he was wrong and he shouldn't have admitted it. And um, if this, I don't think it's an issue on appeal, 
but I do hope that they put limits on what kind of evidence that they can bring in and that they learn from this case that it's not necessary and that in order to admit this kind of evidence that something more has to be shown meaning how is this evidence contributing to the lines of arguments that are being made mm. and it's not really doing any any help to any argument because it's just inflaming the crown's case and it's just helping the defense so it's it's really just upholding the system uh, that's in place jeez so basically i guess what i'm asking you is do you think any white woman's vagina will be now submitted as evidence to use in a similar argument I don't think white women are being impaled by objects and being left to die in their hotel bathroom at the at the rate and at the experiences that Cindy Gladue was experiencing. So I think they will be fine. Mm, gotcha. Uh, it's so awful to say these words, and I, uh, you know, I really appreciate you um, giving me your insight on this, and not just uh, at the legal level, but you know. It, the wonderful thing about talking to you is that I know you understand the gravity of this subject and especially not just in regards to her own family, but the bigger um, picture of what life is like for a sex worker and, and bringing that expertise here on this podcast. I really appreciate you talking about it because it's not easy. And um, I just want to say thank you for, for being open and honest about uh, your your belief system on all of the, these uh, details of a of an awful court case that I just don't think should have been brought to this point. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate you, like one, for inviting me, and two, I just want to say this isn't legal advice. <laughs> um, I have to like I have to be careful with what I say now, especially on podcasts, like, especially when people ask me my my um, my personal opinion on things and yeah. I have to qualify it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it makes things less exciting. I feel, but, um, I am perpetually worried that if I don't say those things, that something's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, um, I appreciate that. Yeah. And, um, again, just to qualify that, like I haven't, uh, recently read the cases, but I have a good understanding of the issues and that um, any errors are a result of my own doing and over slight inadvertent errors. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> and well, and I always yeah. open up with trying to explain any misunderstandings are on me. So I encourage people to write yeah. letters or, or I make, I guess, emails. I feel so old sometimes talking on this podcast because it's like, you know, you write letters, you don't write emails. <laughs> but imagine if you got letters though, like how cool would that be? Like, <laughs> yeah, long time ago, I used to do, uh, you know, pen pals and stuff like that. And even to this day, I, I still think written notes matter so much. And, you know, so it's just, uh, yeah, it's such a different age now with, um, and, and the podcasts are really unregulated. Um, you know, I don't use any intro music or anything like that, but my brother does one for my husband. And like, it's really cool how you can, you know, splice in interviews and stuff like that, that are open to the public. So it'll be interesting to see in like 20 years, if there's new policies saying what you can and cannot do in podcasts. <laughs> Yeah. seeing what rules we broke today that maybe you know won't apply in the future who knows <laughs> we're just rule breakers all around i guess so well or you know just paving <laughs> paving the new path 
<laughs> well, it's the wonderful. Digital red road. Yeah, right. Like we we got to figure this out. And oh, there's some really cool podcasts. I was listening to the CBC, and they had uh, you know talking to cook them around the kitchen table or something. And I'm like, God, these are like just really just small moments in time that if we can keep them up on podcasts, then you know our great grandkids can hear great grandma. <laughs> It should be super cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. So is there um, some other things that are going on right now that you, you'd like to share? Um, no, I have an upcoming event on the 20th where I'll be, I developed and I'll be facilitating it. It's sold out. Um, Great. And there's huge response. Hopefully maybe people will want me to deliver it to them, to their organizations, but Hopefully people will want to pay me. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's what I would like to get to as well. Um, We've been talking about how to develop the podcast so that it gets a little bit of money so that that way we can pay for the podcasting fees. But if we could get enough listeners, then how cool would it be for me to actually be able to pay you or Chad or anybody else that I could get onto the show, right? I hope that we can get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I'm here to support you. Yeah, I'm, and I'm so grateful. And um, you may not know this, maybe I'll tell you this, um, just because you may not know. But I know when I first was trying to advocate for um, a lot of the issues that I had seen, that you were one of my like big supporters as well as really helping me feel confident in what I was saying. So, you know, I just want you to know, like, Chad, yeah, he brought me in. But I also got to meet you and Kevin and a few other people that were just really like, encouraging what can I say and that we were all and I guess more to the point though that we're all on the same advocacy like I hate calling us activists because it's like no this is just who we are and you know we have to do these things to talk about these issues but then they call us activists and it's like well I think uh you know, I hate these, these pigeonholed terms, but at the same time to know that what I was facing is what you were facing is what other people were facing. And we were really united on a lot of messages. It was really, really inspiring. And I just hope you know that I don't think I would have ran for city council. I don't think I would have be here right now having a podcast if it wasn't for, for people like you in my life. So I just want you to know how much I treasure our friendship and, um, and the work that we've done. And I just hope you know that. Thanks. I appreciate it. I appreciate you too. Yeah. So if you have like an upcoming seminar or anything that you ever want me to um, showcase, of course I would in any way I could give you that platform. If you ever want to come back on the show, I'd be honored if you'd want to come back and maybe um, after your conference, if you want to talk about it, you're more than um, welcome to come back. So yeah, just keep me in mind. I miss you, Naomi. (laughs) I miss you too, for (laughs) sure. Right on. Uh, well, I guess with that, I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, of what strength looks like through her example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots, and stepping up and teaching me how to be a proud Calgarian. It's through you. I'm a second generation proud Calgarian. And I want to thank my husband, Darcy, for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, the father of our child, and support down my journey of the Red Road. He's witnessed decades of racism and sexism that I've endured. You know, our child, we are blessed to learn from every day, and I'm honored she chose us. 
Um, she gives me daily accountability to be a stronger, better person. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. I want to thank the previous donors already for showing that support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and nativecalgarian.com is up. And a huge thank you to Naomi for coming out onto my show today. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.